The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week's episode of Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is brought to you by the Celebrant Foundation and Institute's new book, Life Cycle Ceremonies, a handbook for your whole life, which is now available on Amazon and Kindle. Make ceremonies matter more and become a certified Life Cycle Celebrant at celebrantinstitute.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today, Dr. Martin Ball, is a writer, publisher, energy worker, artist, and musician whose latest books are Being Human and Being Infinite, and whose article Three Models for Psychedelic Healing appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Martin Ball, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, you know, I was looking over your material, and at the heart of your work, you have what you call, and I don't hope I'm pronouncing this properly, the entheological paradigm. So let's start with that. What does that mean? Well, entheological, that's based on the word entheogen, which was coined by some researchers who were looking at psychedelic substances, and this was back in the the 1970s, and they wanted to make a distinction between what they saw as the recreational psychedelic use that was kind of blossoming in Western culture at that time, and what they saw as the more sacramental use of these same kinds of compounds in traditional cultures and in religion and spiritual traditions. So they came up with this term entheogen, which means generating the experience of the divine or God within. So en is in, theo is God, and gen means to generate. I use the term entheological paradigm that Back in 2008, 2009, I went through a really radical transformative process within myself through different works, say working with the Santo Daime and drinking Daime, going to the Native American church and also a place called the Temple of Awakening Divinity, which was working with 5-MeO-DMT as a sacramental substance. I basically went through this complete dissolution of my worldview and then reintegrating into a new perspective through those experiences. And so I ended up calling that the entheological paradigm. So it's the logic of God within and the the paradigm meaning a model. And I, I kind of coined that term and came up with this model because what I found in going through this process myself that 
having studied a variety of different religious traditions and practiced a little bit here and there, you know, my degree is in religious studies, that I found that nothing that I had studied really quite fit what I had gone through and the realizations and truths that I was encountering in that experience. So I felt that I had to make my own model. And so that's where this term entheological paradigm comes from. And you, based on what you just said, even though your experience didn't match the religious traditions you were studying, you elevated your experience over the tradition. You didn't say to yourself, well, since it's not in any of these religions, it's probably not an accurate depiction or it's not an experience that I can rely on. I mean, you really felt your experience trumps whatever the tradition says. Is that fair? Yes, essentially, because as I was going through this process, I would say that I was very open to any possibilities, that it was such a challenging process for myself that I was really sort of in this mental space of, wow, maybe all of this is true. Maybe all of these different metaphysical uh, systems that all these different traditions have, maybe it's all true in some capacity. Maybe there really are all these spirits or you know other realms and all of this stuff. And then when I kind of reached the conclusion of my process, that's when for myself it became clear that, okay, this is how things are from my perspective, and it, no, it, it's not in alignment with any particular religious tradition. So, for example, sort of the closest I would align myself would be with Zen Buddhism. However, in that process, what became clear to me is what, what I like to describe is that my perspective is a radical non-dual perspective. In other words, that everything is one. Everything is one being, and I would call that one being God. And I view that one being as being embodied in all individuals. From that perspective, for example, within Buddhism, there's the teachings of reincarnation, that in individual streams of consciousness are reincarnated across multiple lifetimes according to their accumulation of karma. And from my perspective, I couldn't agree with that because for me, the only one who's reincarnating is God. God is playing all the separate characters of all the individuals that exist. And it's not that one person is reincarnating across one lifetime to the next, but it's God that's doing that. And that our ego perspective, our individual perspective, is just a character that this one universal being is playing. So in that sense, if I were to describe myself, I would say, well, my true nature as an embodiment of God, as is true for everyone, so I'm not claiming this uniquely for myself, but that we are all just characters that God is playing. And so we are all beings right now. And we are all beings that have been in the past, and we are all beings that will be in the future, because there's really only one being that is living out its life, and that's God. So there's similarities to Buddhism with non-duality and clarity of mind and presence and things like that. But on some of the doctrinal issues and metaphysical issues, I just found that I couldn't agree anymore, whereas previously I'd been open to those possibilities. So you and I basically have the same theology. What you just described is what I believe also, though I haven't had any experience with psychedelics. But I agree with you 100%. also have the same issue with Buddhism and have talked with many Buddhists about this whole notion of karma and reincarnation, which I think they really just inherited from the Hindus, from the Indian traditions out of which the Buddha came and don't make a lot of sense given how the Buddhist philosophies have developed. And you can read a book, you know, Buddhism Without Beliefs. I forgot who wrote that off the top of my head, but where, where they really challenge, you know, what's the heart of Buddhism? Is it reincarnation stuff? Is it karma? Or is it something much deeper? I've always personally felt that the reincarnation issue was kind of a holdover from Hinduism within Indian culture at that time, and that perhaps early Buddhists just weren't ready to let that concept go because it was such an ingrained assumption of 
Hindu culture, I mean, if we look at virtually any religion that comes out of India, they start with the presupposition that reincarnation exists and that it's a problem that needs to be overcome. And that's just something that I can no longer agree with. The Buddhism Without Beliefs book, if anyone's interested in that, is by Stephen Batchelor, Buddhism Without Beliefs. And then I think if you get into some of the more advanced philosophical positions of the Vedanta in Hinduism, they also realize eventually it's all non-dual and, and all of this other stuff is linguistic holdovers. What I'm, I'm interested in, all the more so at this point, is how the drug that you talk about, 5-MeO-DMT, what that is and how it works on the brain. Well, 5-MeO-DMT, like many psychedelic compounds, falls into the category of what's called a tryptamine. So that means it has a particular molecular base structure to it. And what I find very interesting about tryptamines is that these are natural mammalian biochemistry. So, for example, all mammals on planet Earth contain two very powerful psychedelic compounds within their normal biochemistry, and that would be dimethyltryptamine, or what's called DMT, and 5-MeO-DMT, which is 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine. And these are related to things like serotonin, which is a pretty standard neurotransmitter which is present inside our bodies. But at all times, we have trace amounts of both DMT and 5-MeO-DMT inside our systems. And this also means that we have neuroreceptor sites all throughout our brain and also throughout our body. It's not just in our brain that these molecules attach to. And something that's very interesting about both DMT and 5-MeO-DMT is that these are molecules that can immediately pass the blood-brain barrier, which is rather unique for neurochemistry because most molecules, when they're entered into the body, that they have to go through various forms of transformative processes before they're allowed into the brain system, whereas our brains rather eagerly take up DMT and 5-MeO-DMT, which translates into if these substances are ingested, that they can produce a very, very powerful experience and also very quickly, particularly if they're, say, smoked or vaporized or snorted through a mucous membrane or something of that sort, that it has a very fast, very powerful effect. Now, the reason that I'm interested in 5-MeO-DMT, 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine, is that this is by far the strongest of all psychedelic compounds, that it's really in a category all by itself. And what I find very interesting about it is that from the phenomenological or experiential perspective, when one consumes this, it has a very immediate effect of this sensation of energy that's exploding and expanding. And if it goes to what I would call a full release level, that this feeling of energy becomes infinite, that it's dissolving all of our sense of borders and edges and sense of separation. And one way to describe this is that it's dissolving the energetic structures of the ego. And I would describe the ego as just a collection of patterns of energy, of ways that we think, ways that we act, ways that we express ourselves, the ways that we categorize concepts and beliefs within our mind. And these structures can't really hold themselves together under this onslaught of 5-MeO-DMT. Now, that's not entirely true because it can't actually violate your free will. So if you choose to hold on and maintain that ego identity, people can do that. But if someone chooses to surrender, and in that moment, and it really is a moment, it happens so quickly, that the individual will feel like he or she is dying. And some people describe it as merging with the infinite or merging with God or turning into pure consciousness or pure being. And if the person can choose to surrender in that moment, then the ego will completely dissolve. And what we're left with is this sense of 
infinite consciousness, infinite being, infinite unconditional love. And I would describe that as the fundamental nature of being, the fundamental nature of reality. That is God. That is our nature as pure being without an individual identity. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Again, just to put a plug in for Vedanta, I mean, we're talking about sat, chit, ananda, pure being, pure consciousness, yes. pure bliss. So I have two quick questions. One is, you talk about the guided use of this, this uh, drug. Walk me through the guided process. Let me start with that. Is this legal? 5-MeO-DMT was actually legal up until January 19th of 2011. So my oh. initial experiences with this compound were through an organization called the Temple of Awakening Divinity here in Southern Oregon, which was using it as a ceremonial sacrament. So it's currently in the category of illegal substances. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote this article is because these are things that are, are starting to change because there's been a resurgence of scientific interest in the medicinal uses and healing properties of psychedelic compounds and, and addiction therapy and depression and things like that. There's also beginning to be shifts in the legal realm regarding their sacramental and spiritual use. For example, here in Ashland, Oregon, the Santo Daime Church, which uses a version of ayahuasca, which contains DMT in it, they sued the federal government for their right to drink ayahuasca within their church, and they won. And it contains a Schedule One illegal substance. And so these are things that are starting to shift uh, around the country and around the world as well. So 5-MeO-DMT is currently illegal in the United States. It's legal in Canada. It's legal in Mexico. And so just to answer your question, um, I'll just give you a reference from Mexico that there are several different doctors and also addiction therapy clinics that are currently operating in Mexico where they use 5-MeO-DMT. And in particular, they're using the form that comes from the venom of the Sonoran Desert Toad. This is the only toad in the world that produces this particular compound within its venom. Um, most toads produce 5-OH-DMT, which is bufotinine. So it's a related but slightly different chemical. But anyway, what happens is, for example, if someone goes to one of these clinics, um, they will be given information about this is the effect of the molecule, this is the kind of experience that you'll have, and they'll go through various workshops to kind of address their issues and maybe set their intentions of what they're looking to achieve out of this experience. And it's been found to be particularly effective for people who have addiction issues, particularly with opiate addictions, also alcohol addictions, but also looking at things like depression, people perhaps with suicidal thoughts or tendencies, people who are experiencing anxieties about end-of-life issues, for example, people who have cancer and things like that, are being given an opportunity to have this experience. It's done in a safe context with providers who know what the various effects of the medicines are and how to keep people safe through that. And that's really the main concern, that these molecules are so powerful that there's certainly not anything that anyone would just want to go out and try on their own. My first full experience with 5-MeO-DMT was so 
profoundly impressive to me. It was so far beyond any experience I'd ever had before that my first thought was, I wish everyone in the world could experience this. Now, I had practiced as a Zen Buddhist meditator for maybe some 15 years or so prior to that and had been involved in various other spiritual practices. And nothing that I had ever experienced came anywhere close to this. And it was so profound. It was so beautiful. And that was the point where I stopped being a philosophical atheist or agnostic to being a theist because it was my direct experience of God and it was so unexpected for me. People have told me, well, if you take 5-MeO-DMT, you'll have a spaceship right into the heart of God. And I kind of think, yeah, okay, we'll see about that. You know, I was very skeptical about that. I had experienced psychedelics before and they were profound, they were beautiful, and I learned a lot from them, but I wouldn't have described them as an experience of God. Whereas within a matter of seconds, of my experience of 5-MeO-DMT was, oh my God, it's God. And (laughs) I didn't expect that. And it's had such a profound shift in my view of myself and the world that I really did feel that this is something that I would like everybody to have the opportunity to experience if they want. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, but that's where I became very concerned about legal issues surrounding this. Thankfully, at that time, it was legal, but it was under the process of being considered by Congress for being rendered a Schedule One illegal substance. Yeah, which it is and, now. Which it is now. And I really felt that that was just a terrible crime against humanity because this is such a profound tool that if people want to be able to experience this, I think that they should have the right to do that. Well, it's fascinating to me. And I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to Mexico or Canada at the moment, but I can, I can see where I might be drawn to do that to, to just have that experience. Let, let me just jump on a couple of things. So we've only got about four minutes left. You mentioned atheists or the, that you became a theist. Let me just challenge that very briefly by saying you're a panentheist. I mean, you're a non-dualist. So the fact that you call that God is not what most people who call themselves theists might think of when they think of God. They think of something Correct. supernatural other than themselves. So this has implications for people who do not consider themselves theists or people who say, I don't want to be a theist, so I'm not going to take this, have this experience. Let me ask you quickly, I've had similar kinds of experiences. I I mean, I've never had, never taken this drug, so I have no idea what that one's like. But you spent 15 years in in the Zen world. I spent 10. I had an experience within Zen that that same sense of dropping away the ego. Uh, I've used uh, other technologies. They're not drug technologies, other brain-mind things, uh, Mm -hmm. sensory deprivation tanks and all of that. I've I've had that experience. The, The question I have is, could we be wrong? I don't rest my theology on a text. I rest my theology on my own experience. And it's too profound to doubt. But could that simply be a trick of the ego in a sense, you know, a trick of the mind? It's just chemistry. When it comes down to it, everything is just chemistry. Everything that we think, everything that we experience, everything that we perceive, it's all mediated through our biochemistry. So maybe it's all a great big illusion anyway. And it doesn't really matter, given that these states of consciousness are accessible. And what's interesting about them is that we can have all kinds of things that we think about and we conceive and we wonder about and we think, well, maybe this is true, maybe this is not true, this might be possible. But what really struck me about this experience was that it was just this full unflowering of oh my God, this is reality. This is true. This is something that I cannot doubt. Now, that was in that moment. It took me about a year and four months to really accept that reality. 
my ego and my mind would come back in and try and rationalize everything and doubt and question. But then as I would go back to the experience again, it's like, no, this is true. Right. And I had to keep doing that over this period of time. And then finally, when I reached the point that, no, this is just the way things are, then that's when things really transformed for me. And yeah. we don't have time to talk about that. But ultimately, that's why you can't just tell people this is true. They have to, experience, have to experience it for themselves. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. it's not something that you can learn or just accept. You have to experience it. And then you make up your own mind. My guest today was Martin Ball. You can learn more about his work at martinball.net. Martin, it was just a delight to have this conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This week's show was sponsored by the Celebrant Foundation and Institute. Learn how to create meaningful rituals for people of any faith and none and become a certified life cycle celebrant at celebrantinstitute.org. And check out the Foundation's new book, Life Cycle Ceremonies, A Handbook for Your Whole Life. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And in that digital format, it's suitable for any tablet or smartphone. And you can download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.